0: you, if you haven't partaken of the blessedness of the kingdom through repentance and faith, then your job this morning is not to try to be salt of the earth. It's not to try to be a light to the world. It is to fall on your knees in repentance and faith. But if you are a believer, then this is who you actually are. These metaphors apply directly to you. You are present tense, ongoing. You are the salt of the earth. In fact, it doesn't say you become this, you are this. And we are to live it out, as always in Scripture, we are to live out what we are. We are to become what we are. But we, don't, we aren't working to become the salt of the earth. We are.
1: Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Riser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text.
0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 13 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. But your light shine before men, in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please be seated. Woodrow Wilson told the story of being in a barbershop at one time in his life. And he says, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quiet, quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut. And he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service. Or in fact, it was D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, who was in the chair next to me. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left, and I noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that as I left that place, I should have left a place of worship. It's time for the church and for individual Christians to get back to the task of being distinctly Christlike. Christ-like. You see, why should we try to imitate the world when everything it does is in hostility to the glorification of God in Christ and when it has no answers to the darkness and tastelessness which characterize it? Unfortunately, even in our churches at times and in our lives, we are tempted to move back towards looking like the world to somehow draw it. But all that we have been discussing, the Beatitudes that we've discussed up to this point, are in direct opposition to the things that the world is. We are to live distinctively, and as we do that, we will become salt and light. The verses that we will discuss this morning, 13 through 16. You see, we as citizens of the kingdom have been granted citizenship that is from above, not citizenship that is on the earth. We have been comforted. It has been promised that we will inherit the earth, we will be satisfied, we receive mercy, we will see God, and we will be called sons of God. Because of this, we have a responsibility to, to pour out that truth to the world, to live it before them, to tell them about it, that they too may enter the kingdom that we have had the precious blessing of becoming a part of. It is not enough for us to be joyful as it were to be blessed in our own lives without communicating and living that blessedness out to a world that desperately needs it. And that's Jesus' point in the verses that we will discuss this morning. You are citizens of the kingdom. You have been blessed in these ways. And now you are to proclaim that and live that before a world that has none of those blessings, none of those benefits, because they are dead in trespasses and sins. So what we'll see this morning is that because citizens of the kingdom are blessed beyond measure, they must permeate this dark tasteless world with the salt and light of the distinctly Christ-focused message and work of the gospel. Again, because citizens of the kingdom are blessed beyond measure, they must permeate this dark tasteless world with the salt and light of the distinctly Christ-focused message and work of the gospel. And really what we'll look at this morning are two metaphors that Jesus uses, one of salt and one of light. And we'll try to flesh those out to see how we can become that, how we are that in the world and how we are to live that out in such a way that people will praise and honor our King. So first kingdom citizens are salt of the earth. Verse 13 says you. And again, as he says you, it's plural speaking, probably specifically to the disciples, the 12 who were there, but really to anyone there who believed in him, who was a true follower of him. And I want to make that very clear. The message this morning, and really the message all along, those who are blessed in the kingdom are those who are actually in the kingdom. It is not those who are religious, not those who desire religious things, not those who have kind of a, 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 maybe a passion for religious stuff. It is those who have truly been poor in spirit, those who have mourned over sin and on, those who are actually members of the kingdom of God. It is they who are the salt of the earth, only true believers are this. And so if that isn't you, if you haven't partaken of the blessedness of the kingdom through repentance and faith, then your job this morning is not to try to be salt of the earth. It's not to try to be a light to the world. It is to fall on your knees in repentance and faith. But if you are a believer, then this is who you actually are. These metaphors apply directly to you. You are present tense, ongoing. You are the salt of the earth. In fact, it doesn't say you become this you are this. And we are to live it out, as always in Scripture, we are to live out what we are. We are to become what we are. But we, don't, we aren't working to become the salt of the earth. We are. And we'll flesh out that metaphor. We aren't working to become the light of the world. We are the light of the world. The only salt, as we will see, and the only light that God has left to proclaim the truth of his kingdom. You are the salt of the earth. And then the earth is simply humanity viewed as a whole. All, all men. Men and women seen together in the sphere of this world. Every place we go, we find the world. We find human beings, and that's the way it's meant here. You're the salt of the earth. You are the one who, ex- who demonstrates to the world the truth and reality of Christ, the salt of the earth to all humans. And we really, again, are the only ones who are that salt. As we will see, they're only believers, only kingdom citizens can live this out. John MacArthur says the great blessings emphasized in verses 3 through 12 lead to the great responsibilities of verses 13 through 16. The blessings of heaven, comfort, inheriting the earth, being filled with righteousness, being given mercy, being called God's children, being given heavenly reward, all of these bring the responsibility of being the salt and light in the world that we've been called to be. Well, for each of these metaphors, they really, again, we have, we have a, a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic that we try to interpret the Bible on the basis of all the things that are going on in the text and in the culture. Because these metaphors aren't as visceral, aren't as obvious to us as they would have been to the culture in Christ's time. Particularly this issue of salt. It comes out of little salt shakers for us. And yes, we use it in certain ways, but really salt was an essential element in the life of those in the time of Christ. And really, it's a a particular, it's a metaphor throughout the Bible. Salt is used for a variety of things. It's used in sacrifices. In the Old Testament, salt was an element of Israelite worship. The people were to ensure that salt was applied to every grain of the offering as an indication of the covenant, Leviticus 2.13 says, every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt being there, seeming to be used kind of for permanency. If you put the salt there, it is an indication that this is a lasting covenant. So we have to decide, is, is that what Jesus means when he says salt of the earth? Well, salt was also used as an agent of destruction. And it's used in the New Testament even that way. You'll be salted with fire, says Jesus. Ancient armies used salt as an agent of destruction, pouring it over the ground of conquered territories, so that it became contaminated and barren. So is that how it 's being used, or is salt a being talked of here as a preservative, and probably these last two things that I will mention are the most likely ways that Jesus is using the metaphor. That is, salt was really in many ways considered necessary for life. It was so valuable that the Roman soldiers were paid some in whatever the finances were, the currency of the day, as well as salt because they used it to preserve their food. They used it to make the food palpable and oftentimes to to bring a purifying effect to it. So salt was often used as a preservative. And then salt, and probably this is most common for us, it was used as seasoning. Right? It was used to be placed into the food, one, to make it so uh, oftentimes the food was bland, tasteless, so it brought the flavor out of the food. And again, also there seemed to have a preserving and maybe purifying effect on, on the food itself. So which one of these is Jesus using as sacrificial, as maybe destructive, as uh, preservative or seasoning? Well, I mean, it's hard to say exactly. And I would say that really, I don't think any of those direct meanings are, are the primary force of the metaphor. The force seems to be a, a certain kind of distinctiveness. That is that what salt does is it makes itself known. You put salt in the food and you know it's there. Now, it, it, certainly preservative, the idea of being preserving fits here that the apostles or the disciples in their preaching of the gospel had a redemptive effect that would bring men to Christ. But again, I don't think that's the primary focus. Jesus is saying, look, you're the salt of the earth. You're distinct. When you are in the earth, you are to bring, as we will see, a Christ-like flavor to it. And the reason I I believe that, two reasons. One, in Colossians chapter 2, this idea is used. and, And Paul says this, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. It seems to be the proclamation of the gospel and the bringing of Christ to bear. That is the truth about Christ, his person and work, that is supposed to be carefully considered and then applied to every person we come in contact with. Our speech is always to be seasoned with salt, to have a Christ like flavor so that Christ is known and recognized through what we do. So that seems to be the primary focus. Again, the the second reason would be because the metaphor of light, light being obvious, light being something which which must be seen, which will be seen, seems to be matched with the metaphor of salt. It's distinctive. When it's in the food, it's tasted. When light is put into the world, it's seen. These aren't contrasting metaphors, say salt being like secretive, as it, it might help preserve if you kind of put it in the food and you don't notice that it's there. And then light being obvious, some commentators say that, I think instead, both metaphors reinforce one another. Salt is obvious. It is something that what's in the food, you know that it's there. And if you remove it, you're aware that it's gone. Light is the same way. When it's in the world, it is seen. And when there is not light, then darkness pervades. So with, the, with that idea of salt, it's, its value as a seasoning, essentially, but really as a distinctive flavoring, as believers are to be in the world. Let's look at two different ways that I think this applies. So first, salt that tastes like salt is valuable. That's what he says. As long as the salt can be tasted, essentially, it's worthwhile. When salt has become tasteless, it's no longer good for anything. If you can't notice that it's in the food, it's of no value whatsoever. Salt has to be evident. It has to be tasted. It has to be tasty, as it were, to truly be acting as salt. And so I think this applies in two ways. Jesus is applying this in two ways to citizens of the kingdom. First, that believers are to be distinct from the world. So on your outline, you have kingdom citizens are the salt of the earth. Salt that tastes like salt is valuable. And that applies to believers in two ways. That believers are to be, are to be distinct from everything else in the world. See, this special and distinctive flavoring is capable, or, or only kingdom citizens are capable of providing it. Because everyone else in the world is the same. That is, they are all dominated by the culture. They are uh, immersed in sin, dead in trespasses and sins, and only believers give this can possibly give this distinctive flavoring or seasoning of Christ. You see, when salt becomes tasteless, that is, no longer offers a distinctive seasoning, it's worthless. And so kingdom citizens are to live and to speak with a different flavor from the world. They are to always be distinct from that which characterizes the kingdoms that are dominated by sin. John seventeen fourteen, I have given them your word, says Jesus, as he prays to the father and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That's the distinctiveness of believers. If you're in the kingdom, you must be, you are distinct and you are to live in a way that emphasizes your difference from the world. That is your conformity to the image of Christ. First John two fifteen. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So Christians are called everywhere in Scripture, and particularly here to be distinct from the world. And and remember, that distinctiveness has already been described. Another reason I think that's the primary use of the metaphor. You're in the kingdom, and so you are pure in heart. You are the ones who mourn over sin, and so on. That makes you absolutely distinct in the world. And when you live out that distinctiveness, you are being the salt that you have been made by entering into the kingdom. So believers are to be distinct, but not in any way. See, some people use this, the idea of salt being seasoning, that, you know, believers like spice up the world, you know, and, and so you know, they make it a better place to be. That's not the issue. The issue is that they are to leave a distinctly Christ-like flavor, They live according to the Beatitudes. They live according to conformity to the image of Christ. And as such, everywhere they go, people taste, as it were, Christ. That's the metaphor. And that's what I want you to remember. Everywhere you go, everywhere you are, every person you talk to in some way should be impacted by the nature of Christ showing itself through you. Right? That's the metaphor, additionally, of light that we will see, but also, again, of salt, this tastiness that should be part of everywhere you go. You see, the citizens of the kingdom are the only ones who, give, who can give testimony to the glory of God and to, the, and to the salvation that he provides in Christ. They do this both through gospel preaching and through gospel works. They're both tied together. And saltiness includes both of those, where you are living and speaking of the person of Christ. You see, salty Christians leave a Christ-like taste in the mouth of everyone who comes in contact with them. I was sitting in Chick-fil-A the other day. Yes, not McDonald's, but Chick-fil-A. And one of the managers came up to me and he goes, he knew me by name. I don't know his name, but he knows mine. He says, Chris, I see that you're reading again. What are you, what are you reading? You always seem to be sitting here studying. I said, Well, I'm preparing for, you know, I was gonna I was gonna meet with with Dwayne uh, Blankenship. we meet every Friday. And I said so I was just I was reading the word in preparation for our time together. He goes, Oh, I thought that was it. I thought I it seems like seems like the, the way that you are studying and working through something that you must be maybe a pastor or something, uh, because I just I don't see anybody else do that. Now, you guys, that was sweet to me. That was sweet. I hadn't, you know, I've talked to him and 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 we've had some you know brief discussions, as he says hi when I come in, but just I I was thanking the Lord that my very, essentially my very presence there and what I was doing was leaving a a Christ-like flavor. I went into, I went into McDonald's the other day. I did go there too, early in the morning. And the manager that's on, she's always there in the morning. She handed me the paper and she goes, well, here's the paper. Because she knows I like to to glance it over before I usually get there before my appointment comes. And she goes, well, here's the paper, all except the one part. She goes, you know, the one part that I read that you don't like. And I was like, yeah, that's the horoscopes. Because I confront her every morning over the fact that she ought to, be, we ought to be learning from Christ and not learning from some godless superstition. And she knows it and we kind of laugh about it, but she's aware. Because those, those kinds of things are, are how the Lord would have us to act in every situation. And again, I just mentioned them personally because they're part of my life that I pray for each thing in your life when you go to work, when you do things like that, that people recognize that there's, Christ is in you. And that you have worked hard in those situations so that it is Christ who really goes before you. It's not all about you and what you eat or or other things like that. So you guys, that's my prayer. We went to a a 5K run uh, yesterday, Joanna and I, and then we met the grossest to do the run. It was the World Orphan Run. Not every run we do is based in a Christian organization, but we chose this particular one because this organization, we've done some study on it, done some research. They partner with churches to place orphans but they do so in an overtly Christ-like fashion, which is unusual for many social organizations out there, or even so-called Christian organizations. Here is what they put on their website as their purpose. We equip, inspire, and mobilize the church to care for orphans and vulnerable children. Churches engaged, children restored, communities transformed by the gospel of Christ. There's a worthwhile message. There's some salt in a world that, that is proclaiming Christ, that is meeting real needs, that is doing good works. And yet it is the taste of Christ and his gospel and his truth that goes before them. Because that's the way we are to be in everything that we do. We are the salt. And hear me, there's no other salt. As he's going to say, if we become tasteless, then one, we're useless because have to be tossed out and trampled under. And by implication, there's nothing else. There's no one else that can be salt. It's only us. Because we are the only ones who have Christ inside of us who can give testimony to the distinctive salvation that is found only in Christ. Uh, I'd, li- I'd like to, to, re- to uh, compare this to another metaphor of the senses that's used in Scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It's the sense of smell. And another reason that I think, again, taste represents a Christ-like quality because that's what smell in Scripture also represents. Second 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? May I say that as the salt of the earth, we are the taste of life to life. Or the taste of death to death as we proclaim the nature of Christ. Those who respond, life. Those who do not respond, death. But no one able to walk away without some kind of response. Smell, you you respond to. You smell it. Taste is the same. It's there. You can't ignore it. And that's the idea of salt. You can't be ignored if you are being the salt of the earth. You're in the food. And you are to be the one that is carefully recognized. And that taste you leave is always to be Christ. It's not you. It's not your own unique flavor, your own flair, who you are, what you've done a particular church or a particular organization. It is the taste of Christ, the flavor of Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who permeates every part of who you are. That's what you're to be. But implied here is that believers, and I think speaking to believers here. Believers can act in ways that do not reflect the very saltiness that they are supposed to be representing. Because he goes on to say this, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Back in verse 13, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So we had two implications of salt being tasty, that believers are distinct from the world and believers are distinctly Christ-like. Well, now the metaphor turns to salt that has lost its taste and that is it's worthless. It has no value at all. And again, I don't think the, the point here is eternal security. You know, somehow you could lose your salvation. You can't do that scripturally, but I don't think that's the point that those in the kingdom are getting out of the kingdom. I think the point here is if you are in the kingdom and you're supposed to be salt and you act in any way that is unsalty, it's worthless. You're accomplishing nothing. Why are you even in the kingdom? It's not implying that you're going to get kicked out. It's just Why are you even there? You're accomplishing no value. It's a little bit like when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that if you don't have love, even when you sacrifice your body to be burned, you are nothing. He's not saying you've become an unbeliever. He's saying as you act that way without love, it's worthless. Well, it's the same with being in the kingdom. If you act without the taste of Christ, it's worthless. You were put in the kingdom to be tasty, to be salt. And when you don't act like that, your acts are like they're, worth nothing more than simply to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's again, much like when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all believers will stand there. And then he will take our works and what light a match to them to see which things were done for him and which things were not. And the things that were not done for Christ will burn worthless like this lack of saltiness just to be thrown out and trampled under But really it's, it's, the idea, the metaphor is that that's the, that's the most that's the lowly thing that could happen, most lowly thing that could happen to anyone or anything, to be tossed out in the street and walked upon. Because it's not even worth, it says, the salt of it to become tasteless. It's not even worth throwing in the garden. It'll harm the garden. It'll hurt you. Throw it out. All it's good for is to be trampled underfoot by men. You guys, that's any work that's done without the saltiness of Christ, without the flavor and taste of the one who saved you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't lose your kingdom distinctiveness. Don't do anything that isn't salty because you can't, an unsalty thing can't be made salty. Again, it's not talking about believers that lose their salvation and can't get made salty. It's talking about the works you do. If it's an unsalty thing, if it doesn't smack of Christ, you can't make it Christ-like that, that deed was done. It's finished. But instead turn your thoughts, minds and heart toward truly being the salt that the Lord has for you. Now, Chemically speaking, if we're talking those kinds of realities, salt can't become unsalty, right? It, it's always salt. Probably the, the idea here of it becoming unsalty is that it lacks purity. And that's probably a metaphor, again, that was related to the time of Christ. The Dead Sea is a, a rich source of salt. And of course, the, those in Israel would have, been, would have known that. It's a body of water that doesn't have any outlets. So what happens? It evaporates. You've got all kinds of salt deposits all around it. So there's a huge uh, business of exporting that salt. But unfortunately, that salt was of poor quality. In fact, they would bargain with huge amounts of that salt with those from the north to say, oh, give us a little of your good salt, because the Dead Sea salt had a lot of impurities in it. And the more impurities it had, the less salty it was, and the more worthless it was. So that seems to be the idea that he's getting to them. If you have impurities in your salt, eventually, if you have enough of them, you can't taste the salt. It's no longer distinctive, and you might as well just throw it out and trample it under. It's of no value. James 4.4 4 says this, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you are living, thinking, talking according to the attitudes of the world, then you aren't salty. You're a friend of the world in that area, as it were, and what you are doing is in opposition to Christ. So what's the challenge? The challenge is that you would become what you are. That is that you would live according to the salt that you are. And the two points underneath salt that has lost its taste is worthless is that believers must guard against worldliness because it easily creeps into your lives. Yes, believers can in certain areas of their lives be friends with the world. And as they do so, they have lost their kingdom distinctiveness and they are not acting according to the very nature for which they were brought into the kingdom. They are really denying their citizenship as it were in that area. And that worldly believers are useless for kingdom tasks. The more worldly you are, the less you are accomplishing for the kingdom, the more, uh, the more tasteless you have become. And there is no greater danger than that. Again, there is no other salt. If you don't taste like Christ to people, if believers don't do that, then no one else can. There's no one else that can bring the message of Christ to them. You're it. Believers, you. And so you must do this. And Christ has very strong words. Remember, they're Christ's words, not mine. You see, if a kingdom citizen is not living for the kingdom, he is accomplishing nothing. And in that way or in those actions, he might as well not even be in the kingdom. Worthless. I didn't say it. Christ did. It's very challenging. And by the way, Christ will have many more challenging words to say for those who do not live according to the nature of the kingdom.
1: Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.